time to go beyond the locker room talk and listen in with me, GB, producer Jay, former patients and current friends of our own Cornell-trained, world-renowned urologist and surgeon, Dr. Michael Hyman. Let's talk about the issues on men's minds where no topic's out of bounds on another sit-down with two men and a doc. Hey guys, welcome to the show. It's good to see you guys. Good to Jay. see you. Good to see you, GB. How are you? Good, good. Good to be seen. It's it's been it's been a while. It has been. It has been. Welcome back, Doc. Good yeah. to see you as well. I'm here. Yes, you are. <laughs> I'm here. Here I am. We're we're maskless today because we all got vaccinated. Yeah, we are. Uh, we are in that crew. Um, but we're outside, more than six feet apart. We are. Yeah. yeah. But interesting, you know, slight changes of. You know, I, actually, my life hasn't changed at all. You go out, you still wear a mask, you do everything. But there's definitely a psychological change in how yeah, I feel. For sure. Yeah. Now, now, Jay, you posted an episode that we did about a year ago with a new intro, right? Uh, I did, yeah. That was the last one that was in the feed. Um, and, yeah, I don't even know if uh, the doc knew GB and I talked. But, yeah, it would have been, it had been exactly one year since this episode had aired. And it, it just, I happened to kind of stumble upon it in my own podcast app and... I listened to that episode and I realized this is really interesting. It was a snapshot of where we were at. So I put it up there and people seemed to react to it. It was very interesting, Doc, to hear what we were right about, what we were wrong about. Um, plenty, and, plenty wrong. And, and what we were very, there was actually a number of things that we were, um, you know, if there was a crystal ball, we kind of got some of that right. What we were wrong about was the timeline. Yeah. We everybody were, was wrong about the timeline. Right. We were saying this was in March 30th. And we said. Um, by September. This no, no, is no. going to be. It was by May. By May. By May at the latest. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. A year ago. You know? <laughs> That's um, crazy. Yeah. But oh, what we Lord. were saying about, about reentering society and how vaccinations, a little bit about the vaccinations, but mostly it was about herd immunity and how people would start to get back. We were like, yeah, we're just a few weeks away. Not quite. Wow. But still interesting. Incredible. Yeah, but what really is amazing is is the timeline of the of the vaccine discovery and the rollout of the vaccines. It's really uh, amazing what technology, medical technology yeah. has done. Although we wanted it faster, but you know, hard to believe it could be any faster. It it's, was. I mean, they yeah, were saying there would be no way that it could be yeah. as fast as. And it what was. worldwide, I think over three million people have died, and that and that might even be a low count. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Well, and the reality of it is that this vaccine, this technique, and Doc, it was a great episode where go back and listen to it if you haven't already um, about the vaccine that we put out about what a month and a half ago. The the whole technology behind the mRNA right. has been going on for quite a while. Yeah. And there's that whole book that Walter Isaacson just came out with um, about uh, CRISPR, or is it CRISP? The CRISPR. CRISPR, yeah, and, and the woman who really um, developed it. And it goes into all the research. So we are really just dovetailing on that now with this vaccine, but mm -hmm. it certainly shows, the, certainly shows the impact of that type of research. For sure, for so, sure. So, so, Doc, it's been a while since we've done a show, and there was a reason for that. Yeah. So I had a, um, a big episode in my life um, with my son um, who um, will just start out by saying about a month ago, um, let's see, we, we went, uh, we took, he and I took a trip up to Mammoth and, um, and went skiing. Um, so Mammoth, for those of you who aren't in California, is in the eastern sierras it's about five and a half miles 
north of LA um, and the Sierras. Five and a half hours. Yeah, five and a half hours. What did I say? Miles. Sorry, five and a <laughs> half hours, God. Um, That's going to get you to Van Nuys. <laughs> five and a half hours. So um, in any event, uh, or yeah. And uh, we had a nice weekend. When we came back, um, so that was like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, and when we returned, um, Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, you know, he's social. He's doing his Zoom classes. He's a senior in high school. He's 18 years old. Um, he's in great shape. And um, Wednesday morning, he wakes up. He says, I, I got it like that's the worst headache. And so, you know, I just said, well, take some. You know, if, if it's really that bad, maybe try some Excedrin or something like that. It seemed to get a little better. And um, as it turned out, they were their school was having their first social distancing sort of um, event that day. And it was out in Simi Valley, which is where GB is originally from. And um, and uh, at this at this uh, place called uh, Brandeis Bardeen Institute and uh so they had this big social distance event there with his, his school. And uh, the next morning, he gets up and says the same thing. I got this, this terrible headache. Tell him to do the same thing. It seems to get better. Thursday night, he has a fever. It's like 103. Okay, he's got to have COVID. That's yeah, I mean, headache thinks. and fever, yeah, that's where you're fever. thinking. You're yeah. thinking COVID for sure. Okay, so tomorrow. Even at 103. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. You know, it was maybe it was 102.7. And I'm thinking, okay, it's got to be COVID. Um, so go get tested tomorrow. So we, we get him tested the next day on Friday. It's, it's, it's negative. I'm thinking, all right, he just hasn't like converted or something. I mean, it's kind of weird. Oh, and I think when he first got tested, you know, he, he didn't get the, the one that does the PCR. So of get course, the rapid, I, yeah. right. So I was like, oh, you should have done the PCR one. So he goes back and, and of course the place he went to was a Friday and, and they were, you know, bottom line is we didn't get that result back until I think Sunday. And that was negative, the PCR. So now we're thinking, that's just weird. And this fever is persistent. Now he's having fevers um, at, uh, yeah, like two or three times a day. And, you know, and they're like. So off and on. What's that? Off and on. Off and on. It, but that's it. it. Nothing else. Is that else. a common thing with the fever for it to be. Up and down like that. Well, if you, there certainly, um, you're used to hearing about a fever breaking, and you know, right, right. Um, no, I, 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 no, fevers do tend to you, you tend to spike. spike. You spike a fever, and it goes on for, you know, and the and the mechanism, like for example, bacterial infections, um, are uh, there's something on the cell wall of the bacteria called endotoxin that gets released. Um, and I forget, it has to do with the life cycle of the bacteria oh, I see. when they're dividing and then they release this toxin and then you spike your fever. And that's why, frankly, the best time to get a blood culture on someone, if you really want to see what's growing out in their blood, is while they're spiking. Hmm. Okay. So anyway, um, now we're kind of like, what the heck? You know? And he doesn't really have any other symptoms. In fact, the headaches are now gone. It's just fevers. And by the middle, and now we're getting into like Tuesday, and we're starting to wonder what the heck is going on, and I'm and I'm and I'm thinking, you know, this is gonna, it's viral, it'll get better. I'm not worried. Um, and I think, so yeah. Now I'm trying to remember. It's hard to remember the timeline, but um, oh right, not the following weekend, but the weekend after. So remember, we went to Mammoth. 
Now we're on the Wednesday. Now we're on the weekend. Yeah, you're seven days into this now. Now we're well. Now we're, we're now we're we're not seven days. We're seven days. That weekend was like day three and four of this. Of you know, he spiked on a Thursday night. Oh, Thursday. Okay. Right. He had the headaches Wednesday, but he spiked on a Thursday night. And now we're into um, the beginning of the following week, like Monday, Tuesday. And I'm starting to wonder what the heck is going on. And he and I were going to go back up to Mammoth the following weekend. Hmm. We were going to go. It was going to be a two weeks, uh, you know, from the prior one. And I had a place all set up and everything that we were going to stay at. And he's like, am I going to be okay for this trip? I'm like, of course you're going to be okay. You'll be fine. This is going to go away. This is just a viral thing. Well, by Thursday, it's getting worse. And what's worse is that now he's having um, something that I would describe as rigors. And rigors um, are like convulsive chills. It's very, it's, it's, it's kind of disturbing to see it because it's like he is, he's so chilled and he is shaking so hard that the whole bed is kind of rocking and wow. you can kind of feel it. Uh, you know, we have like a wood floor and you can feel the vibrations on the floor. Oh and, and the shaking's because he's trying to warm himself up. Yeah, yeah, but he can't, it's not a try. It's, right. There's nothing voluntary Right, right, this. it's an involuntary Totally reaction. involuntary. Yeah. His whole body is like kind of in a convulsion. convulsion and, um, and this is at night mostly? Yes, it's mostly at night. It's mostly at night. And we started to really track his temperatures more closely. And, and we they're sweating see. during these. So then, then uh, the sweats came later. Yeah. Early, and what was interesting is that his temperature would drop and we knew it was coming. He would, he would say, like, I feel a little bit chilly, but I feel relatively okay. His temperature would be 93. Oh, my God. 93.5. And that was, we knew. Like, okay, in about an hour, he's going to have these massive rigors, and he would. It was very predictable at that point. So um, now I'm really starting to wonder what, like, I'm getting a little concerned. Like, what the heck is going on here? And um, so a week And into what doctor this, are you consulting at this point? So initially, time? I'm consulting a pediatrician. And um, actually, I went to the pediatrician that third day, that Sunday morning. They, they had a, I think they had office hours, Saturday or Sunday morning. I can't remember. Maybe it was Saturday morning. Pediatrician for an 18-year-old. So he only just turned 18. So but it's like in that, that transitional it's period. It's an interesting thing yeah. for, for any parent to yes. know that you were in this very odd situation yes. of having something with a child who is just barely an adult. And, and the medical community yeah. looks at him as an adult. Correct. And he's a senior in high school. Right. And of so those of you who are the doctor seniors, that's been seeing him forever. Right. Seen him forever. And a senior in high school who's still living at home and is still very, frankly, very much a kid. Right, of course. But, I mean, I, I guess what I'm getting at is from a medical standpoint, um, how much different is the training of a doctor who's not a pediatrician? You know, eventually, um, you know, you'll get to other th avenues that you took, but th certainly the right call was to see his doctor, which is the pediatrician. But it's an odd thing. I would imagine at some point you said to yourself, well, maybe we need to go beyond this. So to be fit, to be perfectly honest with you, I did. In other words, after I went to see the pediatrician and the pediatrician, again, this was like day three, day four, um, and then actually, I'm sorry, uh, the pediatrician I saw on the weekend was someone covering his pediatrician. And then my wife took him to his actual pediatrician later in the week. I want to say like Tuesday. And um, 
But at this point, when the Riger started happening, I started to, I started to think in my mind, like, okay, wait a second, he's 18, and is this really a pediatric problem, or is this just a medical problem? That because pediatricians certainly are adept, their training is focused on the kinds of things that kids get. But what I'm seeing here is not necessarily a kid thing. Right. This is like. This could happen to an adult. It's not this an is just, allergy. It, it's I don't know what not, it is, yeah. but it's it's not. I'm not sure this is a kid thing. But you know, it's tough. It's a judgment call, and um, so we so the pediatrician does get some blood tests during the week, and he's convinced it's viral, and he's not that concerned. Hmm. And the blood tests are extremely unimpressive. You know, normally when you have a, a bad bacterial infection, you would have what we call a high white blood cell count. So your blood is made up of red blood cells and white blood cells and platelets. And the red blood cells are what carry oxygen. And the white blood cells are what fight infections. And usually if you have a really bad infection, you, you know, your normal white cell count shouldn't be higher than like 7,000. And it can go up to like 24,000 or something when you're really, really sick. His is like 7,000. It's like at the upper end, but it's not even above normal. Um, there's another test you get that's very nonspecific called an ESR that stands for erythrocyte sedimentation rate. It's, it, to explain what this test is, I, I don't even know if I could, but the, the best way to tell you what it is is it's, it's, a, it's a test that when it's elevated, it means some kind of inflammatory situation is going on. People who have autoimmune diseases can have an elevated ESR, and people who have a bad infection can have an elevated ESR. just means your body is dealing with something. It's fighting something. It's fighting something. So um, by the end of that first week, yeah, I'm trying to get the timeline down. By the end of that first week, um, I've now started to reach out to a colleague of mine. It's now one week out. Um, who happens to be an oncologist at my community hospital and a good friend and very smart. And, I, and he's got a, kids my age. And, and I said, hey, what do you think? You know, I texted him. I'm like, I, can I? Or I think I texted him. and I said, I'm having a problem with Eli. And he calls me. And he, uh, he says, um, I would take him to, uh, to one of the adult docs at our community hospital. And let me call him and, and we'll get him in right now. So we do. And he goes in. And as, oh, and then meanwhile, and this is where it, it's an interesting thing for you guys to hear that um, at this point, I'm now starting to text some of my good friends from like medical school because I'm really starting to like wonder if anybody has any thoughts. And so I start texting some friends of mine. Actually, I don't even think it's me. It's Robin. It wasn't <laughs> me. Robin, you know, we have these very close friends in New York that I went to medical school with a couple. They're both internists, and we're very, very close. And so Robin is getting, ex that's my wife, she's getting very anxious, and we're now a full week out. And those yeah. rigors are intense, and the sweats are now intense. The sweats are so bad in the night that we have to get up. It, when it really hit its peak, we would have to get up three times in the middle of the night and change everything. All the sheets, the, the pillowcases. We had to start putting uh, towels underneath the sheets because the mattress was getting soaked. Wow. wow. So it was that bad. So, and he's um, getting dehydrated. And he's getting dehydrated, but he was pounding water. That's good. And, um, and Robin is so beside herself. So she calls our friends in New York and they kind of try to reassure her that we're going to figure this out. And they tell her, you know, we were giving him Motrin round the clock to try to control these fevers, which was like 
only marginally effective. Um, it would the Motrin would help curtail the intensity of those rigors, and so. Um, but our friends in New York said, "Is he going to see an adult doctor? Yes. Don't give him any Motrin. <laughs> he needs to see that doctor, and that doctor needs to see and how serious because it may this mask is. something, right? Yeah. yeah, it masks it, and I mean, you describe something, but it's never as dramatic as when you see it, yeah, right in front of you. And Robin said, "Sure enough, they brought she brought Eli in." And this is now and, and like, Motrin is processed through the liver. Motrin is processed. It's it's partly. It's actually both liver and kidney. And really, it's not. If you overdose on Motrin, it's actually more renal toxic. It's really more Got kidney. It. Okay, it's kidney Tylenol, toxic. right? That's no, more liver. Yeah, Tylenol is much more toxic Tox- to the liver. Yeah, you yes. can't be on Tylenol for Correct. too long, guys. Correct. So um, people just take that like, oh, I'll just right. keep taking Tylenol. Right. So the, mo- the ibuprofen, Motrin, Aleve, Advil, that class of drugs is way, way harder on the kidneys. Um, but if you have liver failure, it's true. You'll have a big problem metabolizing that drug. Um, in any event, um, he goes, Robin takes him in and he's having a full blown Riger attack in the office, in the waiting room. And she said the staff, like everybody in the office was kind of, she could tell that they were just really, uh, alarmed. (laughs) And so he, and this is his first time seeing this doctor who's a, a colleague of mine. And he called me afterwards and he's like, okay, this is serious. I don't know what's going on, but we're going to, I just called an infectious disease specialist. We're going to send everything we can come up with. So they, they sent off literally like 40 blood tests, you know, six or eight vials of blood and just everything that they could come up with. So, you know, Lyme's disease, uh, rickettsial illnesses, which is like tick-borne, anything that's tick-borne, flea-borne, um, you know, uh, malaria, uh, Epstein-Barr, which would be mono, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, uh, the mosquito-borne one, uh, West Nile, West oh. Nile, um, everything. And at this point, you must be thinking, we're going to find out now. Yeah, we're going to find I mean, out. We just but sent then, well, off here's like the, a gallon but of here's blood. But here's the frustrating <laughs> we're gonna thing. We're going to figure this out. Those highly specialized blood tests, they're all send-outs, meaning... They're unless, not the same day. Yeah, it's not unless you're like in a major institution, and even if you are, they take like a couple of days to run those tests. Yeah. But these, but so if you're at like a major institution like Cedars or UCLA, it'll take like two or three days. But if you're in the community, you have to send it. Usually, they go because it like the big national labs like LabCorp and Quest, they send them to their like East Coast, okay. yeah, facilities. So it was going to take like a week to get these things back. Huh. So I'm now getting anxious because now he sent them out on Thursday. He's going to he starts them on doxycycline. So doxycycline, which is like tetracycline, is sort of the classic and broad spectrum antibiotic that covers a lot of these tick-borne and flea-borne illnesses. Not virus, of course, but if right. it's like uh, if it's like you know typhus, which it, it, we knew it wasn't because bizarrely he's had typhus when he was a little kid. Uh, if it was, um, if it was uh, the plague, or if it was, um, yeah, tetracycline and like Lyme disease is that's Lyme what, disease. That's what you correct. Treat it for, if right? it's Lyme disease, he'd be covered. Yeah, didn't touch him. So you know, day after day after day, and usually it 
treats them quickly. It's not like it takes a week for it to kick in. It should kick in within so, like 48 hours. So wait, so they gave this to him while you're waiting. On a waiting, Thursday. While you're waiting now, for the, one week out. But the test results haven't come back. Correct. You're just like, hey, Empirically. Let's, let's start it. Got Empirically, it. Empirically, which okay. means you're you're doing it based on the fact that yeah. you have reason to believe that it could be one of these. One of and, these and there things. won't be harm. And there won't be harm. And there's no benefit. There's no benefit. Wow. So um, Sunday, so that was Thursday he started on it. Sunday, right? So just think, you know, between the son and the parents, the anxiety, ton of anxiety. It's ten days now of of a tremendous amount of discomfort, right? And scary. I mean, it's painful. These rigors, by the way, it's not just. You can see he's moaning because the muscle contractions are so intense. It's like having muscle. Like think of a Charlie horse, but all over your body. So his muscles are spasming and contracting intensely in these Riger attacks. And they would go on sometimes for like up to two hours. So it was awful to watch him go through this. And his fevers are still about 103 each time. Right. So, but then when they would be better, when he he would come out of the Rigers and the fever would break, he'd be fine. He like would be normal. fine. He'd be literally normal. I mean, a little, little washed out from what just happened, but you know, appetite, uh, definitely suppressed, no, definitely down. I mean, not, not gone, but not great. Okay. Um, and, um, and the doctor, this doctor said like, well, there's no way this is transmissible. You've been with everybody in your house. No one is coming up with this. Um, no one who, you know, when we came back from Mammoth, we were with my sister and my nephews and he drove with them. So they were in a five hour car ride. None of them had any of this. So he declared with confidence that this was not transmissible. Um, and so friends of his started coming over. So like when he would. So that rules out a virus at that point. Um, no, because you could have like, I think, let me think. I'm trying to remember if yellow fever is a virus. I think I'm trying to remember if there's certain viruses that are transmissible by vector, which is like an animal or right. something. Well, um, like West Nile or Lyme, those are those And of are course, viruses, there are some right? viruses that are only transmissible by blood transfusions, right. like right. HIV. You can't right. get HIV just by playing ping pong with someone. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, airborne virus. Airborne, yeah. Airborne uh, okay. transmissible, yeah. yeah. So in between these episodes he'd be okay so like his cousins would come over but then like like his cousins would come over they'd be playing xbox and then all of a sudden eli would he would be like you guys gotta go because he could feel it coming oh wow so they would have to leave and, and he knew it was coming and so um anyways uh sunday rolls around so now we're how, like how are the cousins 10. by the way they're fine no 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 in relation to understanding what was happening and they understood and, 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 they know. were very concerned for him yeah. Um, so, uh, Sunday rolls around now we're day 10 of the, of really when the first fever hit, because it was a Thursday when the first, I mean, Wednesday was when he first had the headache. headaches. Yeah. So it depends on what you call the first day, but anyway, we're, we're on day, we're, we're a Sunday, a week past. So it's like day 11, day 10, 11, whatever. He wakes up, he starts saying his neck is killing him. He, he just he, like just to move or turn his head. So when you hear that as a doctor, that's very alarming. Hmm. When you have either pain in your neck, uh, especially with movement along with fevers and or headache and or pain from light, we call it photophobia. So it's like you, you open your eyes and light is literally hurting you. It's very migraine sounding. It is sounding like a migraine, right? Except that when it's in the setting of a high fever, you think very much and every doctor would alarmingly of meningitis. 
So, of course, when I texted his doctor, who's now this adult doctor. Wait, question. The blood tests don't test for meningitis? No. Okay. Um, and I knew what he was going to say. I said, he's, he's having neck pain and, and headache. And I know what you're going to say. He says, yeah, you got to take him to the ER and he's got to have a spinal tap. So you, the only way to diagnose meningitis is with a, a, what's called a lumbar puncture or a spinal tap where they basically put a needle at the base of your spine. Well, I'm, I'm cringing. And, um, and they take out some fluid, some spinal fluid and have it analyzed. Um, does spinal fluid regenerate? Yeah. And, um, but you're asking a question that is leads to the other part. You can't just uh, just do a spinal tap um, on someone like this because since you don't know what the cause is and you don't know what's going on, um, there is always the possibility that he has like something going on in his brain, like a tumor. And if he's having brain swelling, and that's causing the neck stiffness and the headache and the photophobia. And you take out some spinal fluid. The spinal fluid is the only... Oh, it's the, keeping it balanced. It's keeping it, it the brain from what we call herniating down into what's yeah, called yeah, the, yeah. the base of the skull. And if that happens, you're dead. Oh, my goodness. So you have to get a CAT scan. Holy moly. You have to get a CAT scan of the brain before, before. you do a spinal tap on a febrile patient to rule out that there isn't this kind of situation. So he gets a CAT scan of his head and Qu it's Question normal. for you, H how much is he informed? Is he informed all along the way? No, I mean, he's informed that we need to get a CAT scan of your okay. head. I'm not saying like, we gotta get a CAT scan of your right. head to make sure you don't have like a big tumor in there and you're gonna herniate. Right, right, right. Yeah, so he gets the CAT scan, it's fine, and they do the spinal tap, which they do a ton of stuff that day in the ER. I take them to the ER. And you have to realize it's my hot. This is where being a doctor, no question, made a huge difference. Because A, I call the ER attending at the hospital that I work at. And I said, listen, my son's got these issues. And his doctor is such and such. And he wants him to come in. And they're like, bring him in. We'll have a bed ready for him. You know. Yeah. So it's like the, the, there's no question. They roll out the red carpet. And, and, it's, and it's a reasonable rolling out of the red carpet, given what they're hearing. Um, stiff neck. I mean, meningitis, you don't, even if he came in off the street, they would roll out the red carpet because when they have a suspicion of meningitis, they put them in an isolation room. They move very quickly because meningitis can be fatal very quickly. So, and it can, it can, yeah, it can cause all kinds of problems. But not transmissible. The, uh, no, meningitis airborne. actually can be airborne transmissible. Okay, so, yes. So, the so they don't know. So they so put the him in one of the previous thoughts when he was spending time in the car with the cousins and stuff that it was probably okay. This was, yeah. This was later, so yeah, okay. It was, yeah, I mean, it was one of those things where we were obligated to go down this pathway, even though all the arrows were pointing away from right, right, something right. like this. Um, and then there are some meningitises that are not airborne transmissible. Um, limes can cause meningitis. Yeah. Um, so uh, anyway... They they do. Wait, I'm the sorry, Lyme's Lyme's disease. Lyme's disease. Oh, Lyme's. I thought we were talking <laughs> about Lyme disease. The Lyme Lyme's disease. Don't worry yeah. about your margarita yeah, later. Yeah, okay, yeah. you're Lyme's fine. Disease. Okay. So, um, which is tick-borne. So uh, he uh, he gets the spinal tap, which I will tell you, normally isn't. Um, it, it can be painful. Um, it was extremely painful for him, um, and they had a hard time for Just whatever a reason. Local? It's just a local. They gave him a little morphine beforehand, but he he was in a tremendous amount of pain from it. It took him mm. many many times to get the right. Oof. Yeah, they had to yeah. stick the needle in a spinal needle in many Jeez. times, okay. and um, so it was. He was pretty miserable from that. 
And, um, but I mean, you know, he's 18, so he was trying to be tough and he wasn't, you know, he was just like, that was the most painful thing I've ever gone through. And I'm like, okay, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. And the spinal tap comes back completely negative. They don't find anything abnormal. And in that day, in like six hours, again, this had a lot to do with me being a doctor. They got an, they then went ahead and got an echocardiogram. So what's an echocardiogram? It's your heart, right? It's an ultrasound of your heart. So there's an, there's an EKG, which is, uh, which is an electrocardiogram. That's where they just measure your oh, heartbeat. You. But an yeah. echo is using ultrasound, basically. Right. And why do they want to do an echocardiogram? Because it's part of the workup for a fever of unknown origin. Right now, he really doesn't have any abnormal lab tests. There's a slight elevation in his liver function tests, but he's actually had that previously, and we didn't know what that was about. He's had that for like, we knew that from six months ago. He had a very slight uh, elevation in his liver function test that people weren't too concerned about. They just said, it just may be him. Hmm. There's no real cause for it and no concern for it, and he doesn't have symptoms from it. And now we're wondering if there was some relationship, but we don't know. So... Um, the echocardiogram is looking at the heart valves because have you ever heard of endocarditis? So endocarditis is a infection that goes from it's typically caused by like a like a like um like a strep throat. You get like strep throat and if it's not really that's why people get very excited very um aggressive about treating strep throat. You might think like why does everybody get so excited about strep? They always want a strep test. Right. Right. Well, what's the big deal? Well, it's very infectious. Especially if your too, kid, right? it's infectious. Especially if your kid, like, they're complaining of a sore throat. But you know, is it so tragic if they have a sore throat? The big concern about strep throat is, is that in the old days, before there was like antibiotics, a lot of these kids would end up with endocarditis, which is where the bacteria get onto the heart valve and they form what are called vegetations, and it destroys the heart valve, hmm. and you end up. If you don't end up with like a valve replacement, you end up dead. You either end up dying or you end up being very weak. And, you know, you might read like aged your heart, basically. Yeah. It's like you'll hear in some Mark Twain book or something, a character who like is like 13 years old or something and barely can walk across the room because he's so weak because he has a heart condition. It's because he had endocarditis from strep. Hmm. So it's very common, you know, before antibiotics. Anyways, he does not have these vegetations. Um, and, of course, he never had strep throat. But I don't that, remember that in a Mark Twain book. I can't remember if it was a Mark Twain book. I was saying it was like in one of those types of books from back in the day. Do you remember Tom Sawyer and the endocrinitis? Endocarditis. The Adventures of Endocrinitis. Is <laughs> that before or after Painting the Fence White? <laughs> I'd have to really think about what books had some, a character like that. But I know there have been. And at this point, have all those blood tests come back? And they're all, uh, No. So you're still waiting We're on still that. We're still waiting on that. Um, some of them have come back. Some of them are negative. And um, we, we've ruled out meningitis now, and you're getting the echo. Then they get a CT scan, a CAT scan of the chest, abdomen, and pelvis. Why? Because it comes down to this. A fever of unknown origin has three branches of what we call the differential diagnoses. Differential diagnosis is like a list of possible diagnoses for a given situation. And in his case, it's super, super extensive. And you break it up into three categories. There are infectious causes of fever of unknown origin. There are autoimmune causes of fever of unknown origin, like lupus, 
or there's something called sarcoidosis or amyloidosis. There's a bunch of autoimmune diseases, um, even rheumatoid diseases, like rheumatoid arthritis can do things like this. But of course, you would expect them to have joint pains. And then there are malignant or neoplastic is another word that's basically cancer causes for something like this. You could have cancer that's causing this. Now, I'm getting worried, of course, and that's part of the reason to get the CT scan. Is like, does he have like big lymph nodes? Because right. it would be a classic presentation for lymphoma. Hmm. Um, so you'd see lymph nodes enlarged. But also there's this other autoimmune it, It's condition. classic, but it's not the first place anyone's going because you've already spent five, six days, ten days going down other checklists, right? I mean... Right, but there isn't a blood test for lymphoma. No, I know, but like you didn't immediately go there because there was other things that seemed like maybe right. more logical. Right, correct. I mean, I wasn't really, to be honest with you, as a urologist, I wasn't really even going into the lymphoma thinking until... Yeah, you're thinking viral. And, yeah, yeah, until the internist that we went to, he says, I want him to have a CT of the chest, abdomen, and pelvis. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, just want to make sure he doesn't have any lymphadenopathy. And once he said that, I'm like, oh... He's hmm. thinking lymphoma. Wow. You know, big lymph nodes. Um, you can also have lymphadenopathy from an infection, of course, but I'm thinking in my mind, like, okay, right, this this could be lymphoma. This could so I'm I'm getting a little worried now. And he gets and did you share that with your family? No. So at this point, um, the CAT scan comes back and um, I look at the CAT scan as it's like coming on the screen, and I don't see anything. But what I miss, because I'm a urologist, I mean, I know how to look at lymph nodes, but the one thing that's glaringly positive, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm humble and I'll tell you that I just, it's not, it, you know, when you look at a CAT scan, especially as a surgeon, you pretty much are always looking at it in what are called axial views. That's what CAT stands for, computerized axial tomography. You're looking at them in like, in like slices through the body cross sections right not up and down and so as i'm looking at the slices i'm like okay everything looks okay but i didn't look at the what are called the coronal sections where you look at like the full you know from the head to the bottom and if you look at the coronal sections you realize that his entire abdomen has basically been taken over by his liver his liver is severely enlarged holy moly his liver is severely enlarged it's literally taking up over half his abdomen. Hmm. Um, normally, the liver just like ends below your rib cage, and I'm standing up right now, and I'm kind of drawing a line yeah. under my rib cage. His liver's going all the way down to his pelvis. Holy moly! And um, they weren't giving him my ties in the hospital. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, and his spleen is also very severely enlarged, but not like the liver. I mean, the liver. But so we call this hepatosplenomegaly. Hepatosplenomegaly. Now you're just making stuff up. <laughs> you know what? So I just have to tell you as an aside. So meanwhile, I'm as so, an aside. So can, can I just interject before the aside. aside? When Michael sh previously shared that with me, I, I Googled enlarged spleen, enlarged liver, and my wife was right there. And I'm like, uh-oh. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a scary list of possibilities. So um, but I'll, you, I'll gonna... tell you some backstories now. Okay. Some funny backstories. This is going to, I'm going to go off on a, a little bit of a tangent, but it's kind of funny. Um, so meanwhile, I'm texting all my medical school. At, at this point, those two very close friends of ours in New York are also really part of a group of six other, th two other couples. So there's a total of three couples that 
Robin and I are very close with that over the years we've always kind of kept there's like this text group that we all kind of are on and we're always text you know not all the time but events come up and we always communicate as a group and these other three couples all of them are doctors all six of them and so there's the couple I told you about um, who are internists and and they're internists for like New York City billionaires and then there's another couple who are in the Bay Area the husband is um, uh, an oncology oncology sort of immunology specialist uh, trained very smart guy trained at Memorial Sloan Kettering and has been like the chief medical officers for huge uh, biotech companies um, I think including um, uh, Genentech some big names and just super bright guy and then another couple Is that it, just out of curiosity subscriber to the show I assume <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> okay, <good>. absolutely <laughs> making sure. he'll be very thrilled <laughs> and um, and then another couple um, that's in Boston and they're at Harvard or the husband is at Beth Israel, which is a Harvard hospital, and and he's a gastroenterologist, so he knows a lot about liver and all that. So now we're all now they're lockstep. I mean, they're like every yeah. test that comes back, they want to know exactly what's happening every second. So team. when I so when I talk about the hepatosplenomegaly, you know, they're they're like that's so they were all reassuring. I don't know if they were doing that to make me feel better, but mm -hmm. they're like, Mike, Mike, don't worry about this. I mean, hepatosplenomegaly is like. That's so nonspecific that, I mean, th he's fighting something. That's, he's got a paddosplenomegaly. That's like viral. Like he's fighting something. There's no, because it's not there, consistent with the fevers. No, it is. It they're is saying, consistent with the fevers. They're saying that, I mean, not everybody who has a fever has a paddosplenomegaly, yeah. but, but there are absolutely 100%. There are febrile illnesses that are associated with paddosplenomegaly without a doubt. Um, the other finding on the scan was what they described as quote unquote miliary lesions in the liver. Um, miliary, M-I-L-I-A-R-Y, is uh, it's a it's a funny word that is any doctor who hears that word will think immediately about TB, tuberculosis. It's the first thing that will come to mind. Not the lungs, because, but in the liver. Well, because there's a con right because there's a con when you get TB in the lungs. TB is a funny infection because it can it, it's a very it can be very sort of uh, all over the map in terms of how it presents itself. We classically think of it as a lung infection, but it can actually present in other parts of the body, and it can present as these miliary lesions. And miliary refers to something about making bread. Hmm. Um, I think that's how they got the terminology from it. There's something about like miliary's bread, mili something about that root that has to do with a, a type of bread, um, miliary bread or something. And that's how they came up with that term. But it's these little tiny, um, uh, they're called granulomas, which are little tiny walled off areas because the body can't destroy the mycobacterium, which is what tuberculosis is. It's a special kind of bacteria. It's not really a bacteria. It's like a, it's like a, uh, a pseudobacteria, uh, and it uh, and they call it mycobacteria because it's got some certain properties that are like fungus-like, and it and the body can't actually destroy it, so the body makes a wall of like a cyst around it, um, and it's called a granuloma. It walls it off, and you can get these little tiny microgranulomas in a specific organ, 
or in multiple organs. And when you see it, you and they have tuberculosis, you say, oh, this person has miliary TB. And it's like disseminated throughout your body. That's miliary TB. So everybody's wondering, like, could he have TB? But he had a blood test. That was one of the panel tests. And it came back negative. So everybody, and plus he had no pulmonary symptoms. Plus it's not endemic really in Los Angeles. It would be bizarre to have TB, just totally bizarre. So with that, a lot of questions still remain. A lot of questions remain. Why don't we, why don't we hold? Okay. And, uh, we'll break this up. There's a lot, there's a lot to talk about, a lot to hear. So we'll pick this up. And then I have a funny aside about hepatosplenum. I haven't even gotten into who doesn't have a funny aside about hepatosplenum. What is it? (laughs) Hepatosplenomegaly. Yeah, that. All right. We'll, we'll pick this right back up. We're going to do it. Um, we won't wait our normal amount. We'll, we'll be right back uh, next week with the conclusion to the doc's fever of unknown origin. All right. Thanks, guys. GB. Thank you. All right, doc. So that's our show. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Two Men and a Doc is hosted by Dr. Michael Hyman, GB, and Jay Tannenbaum. Produced by Jay Tannenbaum. The views and opinions expressed here by Dr. Hyman are based on his medical training and experience, but if you or someone you know are experiencing any medical issues, you should, of course, consult your own physician. We welcome your questions about men's health or anything you've heard on this podcast. So write to us at mail at twomenandadoc.com. That's M-A-I-L at twomenandadoc.com. If you live in the Los Angeles area and want to see Dr. Hyman, you can find his contact info at drhymanla.com. That's D-R-H-Y-M-A-N-L-A.com. And these links are also in the show notes. That's it for this week. See you next time on Two Men and a Doc.